Chapter 72 of The Wild Huntress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wild Huntress by Thomas Maine Reed. Chapter 72 Wakara. The lodges were aligned in double row, with a wide avenue between them. At its head stood one of superior dimensions, the wigwam of the chief. They were all of conical shape, a circle of poles converging at their tops, and covered with skins of the buffalo, grained and bleached to the whiteness of wash leather. A slit in the front of each tent formed the entrance, closed by a list of the hide that hung loosely over it. Near the top of each appeared a triangular piece of skin, projecting outward from the slope of the side and braced so as to resemble an inverted sail of the kind known as latine. It was a wind-guard to aid the smoke in its ascent. On the outer surface of each tent was exhibited the biography of its owner, expressed in picture-writing. More especially were his deeds of prowess thus recorded, encounters with the cougar and grizzly bear, with crows, cheyennes, ponies, and arapahoes, each under its suitable symbol. The great Marquis of the Chief was particularly distinguished with this kind of emblematical emblazonment, being literally covered with signs and figures, like the patterns upon a carpet. No doubt, one skilled in the interpretation of these transatlantic hieroglyphs might have read from that copious cipher many a tale of terrible interest. In front of these tents stood tall spears, with shields of parfleche leaning against them, also long bows of boys' dark, Maclura Rantica, and shorter ones of horn, the horns of the mountain ram. Skin quivers filled with arrows hung suspended from the shafts, and I observed that in almost every grouping of these weapons there was a gun, a rifle. This did not much astonish me. I knew that to the Utah the medicine weapon is no longer a mystery. Here and there, hides freshly flayed were pegged out upon the grass, with squaws kneeling around them, engaged in the operation of graining. Girls, with watertight baskets, poised upon the crown of their head, were coming from or going towards the stream. Men stood in groups, idly chatting, or squatted upon the turf, playing at games of chance. Boys were busy at their bow practice, and still younger children rolled their naked bodies over the grass, hugging half-grown puppies, the companions of their infant play. Troops of dogs trotted among the tents, while a mixed herd of horses, mules, sheep, goats, and asses browsed the plains at a little distance from the camp. Such was the coup day that presented itself to my gaze as we rode up to the Utah encampment. As might be expected, our arrival caused a change in the occupation of everybody. The dicers leaped to their feet. The squaws discontinued their work and flung their scrapers upon the skins. Tia was the exclamation of astonishment that burst from hundreds of lips. Children screamed and ran hiding behind their dusky mothers. Dogs growled and barked, horses neighed, mules hinned, asses brayed, while the sheep and goats joined their bleeding to the universal chorus. On to the chief's tent, counseled my companion, gliding to the ground and preceding me on foot. Yonder, the chief himself, Wakara, an Indian of medium size and perfect form, habited in a tunic of embroidered buckskin, leggings of scarlet cloth, headdress of colored plumes, with crests that swept backwards and drooped down to his heels. A gaily striped serape suspended scarf-like over the left shoulder, with a sash of red china crepe wound loosely around the waist, 
completed a costume more picturesque than savage. A face of noble type, with an eye strongly glancing, like that of an eagle. An expression of features in no way fierce, but, like the dress, more gentle than savage. A countenance in repose mild, almost to meekness. Such saw I. Had I known the man who stood before me, I might have remarked how little his latter expression corresponded with his real character. Not that he was cruel, but only famed for warlike prowess. I was face to face with the most noted war chief of America, whose name, though new to me, was at that moment granted from Oregon to Arispa, from the banks of Rio Bravo to the Sierras of Alta California. It was Walker, the war chief of the Utahs, the friend of the celebrated trapper, whose name he had adopted, and which, by the modification of Utah orthoepy, had become Wakara. An odd individual, a very odd one, was standing beside the chief as I rode up. He appeared to be a Mexican, to judge by his costume and the color of his skin. The farmer consisted of jaqueta and calzarones, of dark-colored velveteen, surmounted by a broad-brimmed sombrero of black glaze, while the complexion, although swarthy, was several shades lighter than that of the Indian. He was a man of diminutive stature, and with the countenance of a serio-comical cast. An expression of this kind pervaded his whole person, features and figure included, and was heightened by the presence of a singular accoutrement that hung suspended from his leathern waist belt. It was a piece of timber, some eighteen inches in length, and looking like the section of a boot tree, or the half of a wooden milk yoke. At the thick end was a concavity or socket with straps, by which it was attached to the belt, and this singular apparatus, hanging down over his thigh, added to the grotesque appearance of its owner. The little Mexican had all the count of a character, and he was one, as I afterwards ascertained. He was no other than the famous Pedro Archilete, or Pegleg, as his comrades called him, a trapper of Taos, and one of the most expert and fearless of that fearless fraternity. The odd accoutrement which had puzzled me was nothing more than an artificial leg. It was an implement, however, he only used upon occasions. Whenever the natural one, the ankle of which had been damaged by some accident, gave out through the fatigue of a march. At other times he carried the wooden leg, as I first saw it, suspended from his belt. His presence in the Indian encampment was easily accounted for. He was in alliance with their chief for the Utahs were, at that time, in pause with the settlements of the Taos Valley, and the Spanish trappers and traders went freely among them. Pegleg had been on a trapping expedition to the parks, and having fallen in with the Utahs, had become the guest of Wakara. End of chapter 72